This is the Depth and Light Podcast. I'm J.D. Bertle. If there's one thing that causes stress among students, teachers, school administrators, and parents alike, it's grading and assessment. Most of us grew up with an A through F range of possible letter grades, a 4.0 scale, and numerical grades 0 through 100. The origins of using letter grades in schools in the United States can be traced back to Yale, Harvard, and other universities. Mary Lovett Smallwood wrote extensively about the origins of grading in her 1935 concisely titled book, An Historical Study of Examinations and Grading Systems in Early American Universities, a critical study of the original records of Harvard, William & Mary, Yale, Mount Holyoke, and Michigan from their founding to 1900. It's a long and fascinating history, but the basics are this. Yale started using a marking scale based on four as early as 1813, although they had likely given the first grades ever used in the United States in 1785. All throughout the 1800s, Yale, Harvard, William & Mary, Mount Holyoke, and the University of Michigan tried different scales, symbols, and representations in their attempts to innovate a standardized grading system. By 1877, Harvard had articulated a 0-100% through system. In 1897, Mount Holyoke codified the system we still use today, with one exception. Their new letter grades went from A through E with E standing for failed. The next year, they added F. Most school systems removed the E, and we have been stuck with A through F ever since. Now many educators want to move away from systems like that. They feel our traditional grading system does more harm than good, and it is at best a poor representation of what students know or have gained from coursework. One exciting innovation in grading and assessment is through digital badging. Originally used by companies like Foursquare and the Huffington Post, these badges reference analog badges given by groups like the Girl and Boy Scouts. Now they're finding their way into preschool through 12th grade classrooms. Our guest today is Noah Geisel. Noah is an educator, coach, consultant, and author. Additionally, he was honored as the 2013 American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages National Language Teacher of the Year. Noah also founded Badge Summit, a yearly conference focused on using badging and micro-credentials in education. No, welcome to the show. So was being a teacher something you dreamed of from childhood? No, I definitely had no idea. That's so funny. I, I probably thought I was going to be like as a little kid, um, Alex Keaton, like that Michael J. Fox character on Family Ties. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I, and at the time, I probably had no context for that. But I, I do remember thinking I wanted to be him. Um, I, I, I went to college. I thought I, even senior year in college, I, I thought I'd be a band manager. Um, or, you know, in our guy, I thought I'd work in the music industry or the ad industry. Ed- education uh, definitely was not something that was something I-, I grew up thinking would be my place or even through my formal, you know, K-12 and, and higher ed uh, journey. It-, it didn't go down at all like that. I majored in English and Spanish, and uh, I-, I just was lucky to have a mentor early on who said, you know, if you can write, you can do anything. And so I, I majored in English and not really knowing what I wanted to do with myself at the end of college, I, uh, and, and a band that said, you know, we're, we're just not ready to hire a manager. I said, you know, I'm going to work on my Spanish better. And so I, I got a job teaching at a school in the Dominican Republic, 
um, that, and I, I should say actually one quick thing is that I, I did uh, November-ish of my senior year in college, there was an article, Time or Newsweek, I believe, that said, you know, nation in crisis, by 2010, half of all teachers teaching today will be retired. And um, I did right there feel like kind of this desire, rekindled the desire to serve. I had almost joined the military out of high school, really had this sense of giving back to the, to the country. And so when I saw that, I thought that might be a way to get back to the world. And then as um, you know, I, I started to look into teaching and realized it was very difficult to do without a teaching license. Uh, you know, it turned my attention internationally, got to combine that with my love of Spanish and, you know, my discontent with not actually being able to speak it, even though I majored in it. And so, um, from there moved to the Dominican Republic, got a job teaching at a ritzy private school, teaching high school English, uh, you know, to kids, most of whom would end up you know, going on to top schools in the DR as well as in the United States. And, uh, ended up just really liking education. And then when I moved back to the States, just series of amazing circumstances. I was working in film and, and doing a John Sayles movie. Ended up in Denver, loved Denver. Realized that working in the film industry in Denver most days meant substitute teaching. And so rather than move to one of the coasts to pursue film, said, you know, I, I enjoyed that teaching thing. I'm really loving Denver. I'm going to stay here and pursue teaching. And just because you couldn't really at the time get an alternative license uh, and, and actually find a job teaching high school English, I had enough credits to do it teaching Spanish. And so that was my super circuitous journey to, to become a Spanish teacher, thinking I'd do it for just a couple of years, then take the praxis and cross over to English, but just fell in love with teaching Spanish and never looked back. So after knowing you for a few years now and following your work, um, you're definitely somebody who wears a lot of different hats. So I was wondering if you could just tell us about all the different things you're involved with. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I'm just in this fortunate place, J.D., where everything I'm involved in is stuff I'm loving. And it's all a result of just pursuing my own curiosity and finding time and space to geek out on things that I want to geek out on. And so... Um, you know, my, my teaching gig right now at University of Colorado Denver is largely because of a professor who was doing just next level futuristic stuff that I thought was cool. And we reached out and became friends. And, you know, fast forward three and a half years, he said, hey, that there's this class that's being taught, you know, and we're going to go adjunct on it. You should apply. Um, and so that, that was just a total thing of, of like this affinity I had for at the time web annotation. You know, just super niche, geeky stuff that that turned into a job. Um, I a lot of my work is, is you know, is, is in the digital badge credentialing space, which was really just something. Uh, you know, seven years ago when people started talking about it, I, I put in an alert on Google for it so that I'd find articles about it. Was playing around with it in my class, you know, on Edmodo back in the day on that, and. You know, fast forward a few years, a school district was looking to go big on that and said, somebody told them I might know about it. I happen to know about it. And that turned into just a huge part of, of how I spend my days is digital badge credentialing. Um, in addition to consulting on it, I put on a conference called The Badge Summit, which now has a very official sounding webpage, thebadgesummit.com. Um, it's the day before ISTE every year. I, I just follow ISTE, so it'll be in California Saturday, June 27th, if people want to come. And uh, what else? I, I, I do a lot of human-centered design right now, which is really fun. And uh, I'm working on getting the audio prepared to launch a podcast as well that is uh, 
called Hot for Teacher, which the, the URL is Hot for Teacher Podcast, uh, which for now redirects to the Facebook page. And uh, it's basically, if folks are familiar with The Moth or uh, Risk or Mortify, these kind of stories on stage style deals, it's, it's that format, but all the stories are being told by educators or former educators um, in a 21 and up environment and all the irreverence that can come with that. If there's one thing that's really troubling you in our education system right now, what would that be? Mm, I guess assumptions is my biggie. Uh, something that just thanks to really awesome mentors, especially in the human centered design space, you know, I, I've been ha- having the opportunity to work a lot on it, it is assumptions. And that, you know, it, it's a big problem in education. I think it's a big problem kind of real large in our society of, you know, reacting instead of responding, right? And, and that when we do that, it it's usually goes downhill right away. And it's oftentimes based off of us assuming that we get what the other person's saying or somebody's saying stuff and us right away going to, ooh, you need to talk to so-and-so or you need to know about this or you have to do this, you know, based off of, you know, no matter how good we are at, at thin slicing, if you will, you know, it, it just shows a profound lack of getting, taking the time to take deeply understand what it is that's actually being discussed, right? And so just I, I think it's, it's really problematic that, that whether it's we're assuming about people's intentions or we're assuming what they really meant. Um, I, I think that assumptions is just a biggie, you know, whether it's at the leadership level, which I think is, you know, kind of a big systemic problem in our public schools. Uh, I, I think that we, you know, we don't have a lot of great leaders, unfortunately. We, we have some that are good, but kids deserve great, right? Get good is just as bad as terrible. So the, the, I think there's great and there's not, not yet great leaders. And, and w- w- you know, there's lots of things that go into being a great leader, but I think like the ones who don't assume, who slow walk it and just take a time, second to understand, you know, the, the things just go so much better. I'm curious to know how you use human-centered design with the people you're coaching or clients you're currently working with. Yeah, so so I work with a group. Uh, some of your listeners may work in states where they have BOCES units. Um, in Colorado, we have BOCES. And in, in the kind of Denver metro area, the BOCES unit really specializes in innovation and, and um, change and supporting district-level leaders. Um, so... What that looks like in the work that I support is so highly variable, going back to that point of empathy, right? That, that it's very, I was about to say very rarely, but it's not even that. It is flat out never a prepackaged um, kind of solution. It is totally rooted in empathy and just going in and starting out with what the person who is bringing us in thinks to start out is the issue we're there to deal with figuring out who the users that are impacted by that issue are, and then really just, you know, using that as a guiding post and a beacon of saying, no, like, we're going to hold ourselves accountable to this. Like, these are users. We are going to deeply empathize with their experience and figure out, like, is the problem, is our understanding of the problem the right understanding? Is the problem even the problem, right? That, that Going back to the idea of assumptions, you know, we, we see really great solutions every day that aren't applied to 
the right problem, right? That, that we were there we, before, we didn't take the time to understand the problem. And as a result, we came up with a really great solution that ultimately is going to you know, manifest as a decision that doesn't stay made because we didn't, you know, actually, it's not the solution for the problem that we, you know, we're all gathering to, to confront anyway in, in the first place. Um, so that, that's super, I guess, generic and platitude of me, isn't it? Uh, so, so on a day-to-day, -day, it can look totally just, uh, you know, working with, a, for example, a group of principals at a metropolitan district where um, they, they oversee, for the most part, kind of alternative high schools. They're mostly serving students who are either adjudicated to them or um, overage, under credit. Um, so so, so th that's the kind of, as opposed to a geographical network of, of schools, that they're more bound by the students who, who they serve. And their director, you know, has this monthly time with them and really wanted it to be more meaningful than it's been historically. And just using human-centered design, we started out at the beginning of the year thinking we were going in one direction, you know, we were going to use design to help him get them where he wanted to see it going. And it's just very quickly took a U-turn from that to something very different based off what these principles need and what they want. And as a result, we have, you know, a dozen principles who are showing up. You know, it wouldn't be difficult for them to come up with an excuse for why they have some emergency at their school and they can't go to the meeting. And they don't. You know, they're there every month. And in December, you know, we've been working with them just this year. And in December, we, you know, asked them for some really, you know, give us the hard feedback we need to hear so we can improve for next semester. You know, and, and literally that, that side of the wall was blank. <laughs> they, they, the one thing was, can we, you know, we need to meet twice a month. You, that's dumb. Like you don't have meeting. You don't have people asking for meetings, right? <laughs> Especially a principal who's being pulled out of their schoolhouse, right? They, they, that's the principal's nightmare. And so when we can actually, and all, and it's not any expertise that we're bringing other than a commitment to protocols rooted in empathy, right? We're just figuring out what do you need, and then giving it to them. So you're a well-known proponent of digital badging and micro-credentials. I'm wondering if you could just kind of describe what digital badging is and some of the best practices for using them. Totally. Um, I love digital badge credentials. I'm a big proponent. And something that I would kind of start with before we get into just the nitty-gritty of just what they are, for anybody who's concerned about the, them being a flavor of the week or you know just something shiny, I would urge you to... Um, Maybe get over that assumption. Give us the benefit of the doubt for a minute because I, I really passionately believe that they are the future. Uh, I think we are definitely beyond any risk factor than being flavor of the week. Companies you've heard of are all in on this. Um, I just read that IBM has issued internally to their own employees over 2 million badges. Salesforce, which is one of the biggest companies in America, has issued you know, probably six to 10 million badges to their consultants. And this is stuff that's happening in the real world to, to solve a really big real world issue. And that big issue is that we don't have good storytelling vehicles to communicate whether or not we're actually uh, have the, the skills and achievements that colleges and employers are value the most, right? So that we're hearing over and over that that what they're really looking for are collaboration skills, critical thinking skills, right? These, these soft skills or even stuff that's hard skills, call it welding, right? 
but what we don't necessarily have are really good ways to communicate through the traditional vehicles of those stories, like the SAT or ACT or our transcripts and our grades. They don't tell those stories, and they definitely don't tell them in ways that, that we can verify and trust. And so that's where digital badge credentials enter into the equation, that we have the ability to name something, notice it, and then issue a credential for it. And, and a good kind of comparison is, is Boy Scout and Girl Scout badges. So people will be familiar with that. You, you have this badge, you have this criteria. If you meet the criteria, you earn it. Um, with digital badge credentials, very similarly, folks have a, a, a credential. They have the criteria that you need in order to meet that. Meet, you have to meet that criteria in order to earn the credential. And then what's really powerful and kind of, I, I think, taking it from substitution to really transforming the nature of credentialing is because they're digital, we can attach evidence. And so there can be a video, a testimonial, a Word document, a slide deck, anything we want to use to show, hey, you don't have to take our word for it that this person deserves this digital badge credential. You can validate it yourself. You can click on the badge, colleges and employers, and you can see that artifact and see, yeah, you know, JD is collaborative. He does have critical thinking skills. And, and so I think it's really powerful stuff. It's happening at, you know, kind of summative levels of, of you know, certificate or, or, you know, diploma kind of level stuff or course level stuff. But what I think it's really powerful is granular level skills, getting into not at the kind of course level, but saying within this course, we're going to hit 11 different competencies. And maybe you don't get an A in the class, but you are going to get a credential for the competencies that you do demonstrate. So it's a storytelling device, a way to kind of build a narrative that describes the student's progress with a certain coursework. But it's also handy because it's a way to assess without having to actually go in the report card, correct? 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, some people are definitely taking some, you know, it's a relatively logical conclusion to take it to, well, should it replace grades? You know, I think that... Uh, you know, more productive way of looking at it is, you know, what's missing in the story of the grade that is still happening and really that what's the important story that we need to make sure gets told, right? So the student who in the Socratic seminar is not just saying what they need to say in order to hear their voice, they're asking another student a question to make sure that student gets their points. Right? That right there is demonstrating a skill that is hugely important outside of school. And there's just no way that that student has the ability to tell that, you know, to colleges and employers without some sort of credentialing system. Teachers are more and more talking about building intrinsic motivation, you know, something that's coming from within the student, the desire to learn, to progress, as opposed to extrinsic motivations like grades, um, expectations, um, test scores. Uh, do you think that digital badging is something that can kind of help provide or build that intrinsic motivation in each kid to learn something new or try something daring? I know, you know, it's not binary. I think there are examples where that is the answer is yes. There's examples where the answer is no. You know, everything depends on the implementation and the context. I think that, you know, one place where I try to not get too muddy is, you know, if you are against extrinsic motivators, it needs to be intrinsic, you know, build a system that's entirely intrinsic. If, if, you know, your users, your students, your learning community needs extrinsic, seek a way to meaningfully implement with extrinsic motivators. Um, you know, I, I do think that 
you know, as we think of digital badge credentials as being both, you know, kind of devices for recognition and storytelling, you know, it's still, you know, a reasonable expectation that a student is going to raise her hand and say, JD, why should I care about your stupid badge? And, you know, for a decent number of those students, if you say, well, because you should be intrinsically motivated to learn, you know, that, that's, that, that you've lost them right there, right? And so, um, you know, one of the powerful things that we are seeing, um, and more so in higher ed and the quote-unquote real world, is creating digital badge credentialing systems where the, the credentials themselves are currency, and so that gets right into extrinsic motivators and in pretty meaningful ways. So, you know, I've worked a lot with Aurora Public Schools on a digital badge credentialing system. And you know, we have over 60 area employers who have said, we value these skills. If you're actually credentialing students these skills, we will value that. We, we will, you know, open up a door of opportunity for students who have those credentials. And so all of a sudden, you know, for the student who says, why should I care? You know, we can say, hey, that, that badge is, is a key. It's currency. You can, in a sense, spend that to open up opportunities for you. You know, that historically in this inequitable world we live in have really been reserved for people who, you know, have, you know, parents with mahjong and golf partners who can unlock those opportunities. At kind of the basics level or the starter level, what does the teacher need to get going with digital badging in the classroom? Time. Right. They, they need time. They need a will to, to get going. I, I think that, you know, one of my analogies that, that I've been using a while lately is it's, it's just a lot easier to clean up a spilled glass of punch than a spilled punch bowl. And so starting small because, you know, things are not going to go, go right. And, you know, the smaller the mess, the easier it is to clean it up and start over. And, you know, hopefully you didn't get anything on, on people. And so they're not mad when you start over. They're not, you know, refusing, you know, oh, we've been burned before by this, right? It was small enough of a start. You're working with other people who are probably prone to being early adopters. You know, folks who are going to know that it's not going to be perfect out of the gate and willing to make changes together with you and experience that, that kind of path to greatness. Um, and, and yeah, the, I, 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 there, there's tons of free tools. I would encourage people to check out badge.wiki that is a totally free community kind of created resource where, you know, it, it, they've got all the badge issuing platforms there. They've got links to examples, resources, research. Um, definitely a great starting place. There's a uh, Digital Credentials Institute being launched out of uh, Madison Technical College in Wisconsin that aims to, you know, through kind of the research side of things in, in higher ed, aims to be a resource for folks who are looking to get going. And, you know, if you have a budget, you definitely reach out to a consultant, you know, and check out Noah Geisel's work. But, you know, you could also, you know, definitely just get in there and play. Jump, get, get, jump in the sandbox and start making sandcastles and, some of them you'll have to knock over, but other ones are, are going to be glorious. So the basics that a teacher would need, they need some kind of image, you know, uh, image file to represent the badge. They need a rubric. They need kind of clear expectations about what each child needs to do to earn the badge. Then they need a way to display the badge and rubric and then a way for the students to see the badges they've earned, correct? Sure. Yeah, all of that is, sounds like a like, perfect way to go about it. I think that 
you know, there's also opportunity there, you know, so say we're, you are working with students in a makerspace situation, you have this brilliant idea for badges, you know, a great step might be before you actually start designing this to go ask the students what, what would make it meaningful to them. Right, like you, we as teachers have a way that in our head it's going to be meaningful to us, but maybe for them it's, you know, all about you know, I don't care about the digital badge. I just want to have something physical, like hey, can can we use that sewing machine in the corner to make the badge into like patches that like we can put on Letterman's jackets, and maybe that's what they need to get hooked. And we never would have thought of that without asking them. And so, you know that. If we start there, that might be a great way to find something that, you know, has traction with, with our users as opposed to something that we're forcing on them. Um, you know, and really considering the value proposition is, is, in my mind, a great idea. If you're really hardcore and to know they need to be intrinsically motivated, great, go for that. But if you're open to it, you know, that focus on the front end of when somebody says, why should I care? What is your really compelling answer for them? Because if you don't have a compelling answer, um, save yourself the time. Like it's probably not going to work and you're going to put in a bunch of effort and, and be, you know, frustrated afterwards. So I assume you've seen surprising or pleasantly surprising ways uh, teachers are using badging in classrooms. There are so many. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, in the case of stuff where, I guess one, one kind of caveat is to think about as you're designing your system is, are we creating digital badge credentials that are for an audience primarily composed of the student earning that badge, maybe parents, you know, maybe other teachers? Are we, you know, envisioning that there might be potentially an audience beyond the walls of the schoolhouse, beyond even our learning community? Um, because that, those are two very different approaches. And, you know, for... Teachers where it's rooted in what they're already doing, that's where I see some of the best pickup, right? Where, hey, here's this stuff that we're already doing in student government with this volunteer project and this um, toy drive we're doing around the holidays. And um, here are the skills that you guys are doing that are part of the state standards that you might not have even realized you're doing, and we're going to recognize you for that. You know, and so they're creating this thing that was already, you know, that they're already doing. Instead of building new things around it, they're taking this badge, this badge construct and bending it to meet stuff that was already in the works, that was already meaningful to them as teachers. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are a huge issue in STEM and STEAM, uh, particularly in schools. Do you feel like digital badging is something that could possibly help mitigate some of those issues? Um, I, I, equity is a driving piece of, of where digital badge credentials are going and changing the world because, you know, at the end of the day, when we think again, going back to that audience piece, when we think about, you know, an audience of an employer or even internally, you know, I mentioned that IBM is doing this internally. They've issued over 2 million badges. They're at a place now where if they have a consulting job in Chicago, they don't necessarily need to turn to each other and say, who, who do we know who'd be good for this? They have the ability to look at the project and the scope of work and say, what are the skills we need? And then they can query a system that has already been credentialing employees in these skills, cross-reference that with calendars, and then build an ideal team in ways that are blind to gender, race, last name, 
right? And so all of a sudden, from an equity perspective, it's not about you know people who are already benefiting from a you know historically inequitable system that was constructed in order to help them, continuing to help themselves and, and other people like them. It's all of a sudden looking at things from more of, of maybe a merit kind of perspective and finding the right people because they're the right people. And, and that to me has huge implications for equity. So there's some obvious, I think, questions about transferability. And if, for example, a student graduated from high school, has earned a bunch of badges, how are those accredited or trusted by colleges and other entities they might apply to or be part of in the future? Yes. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people, and especially I mean, even on the employer and college side, I mean, that's one of the first questions that comes up. So I mean, it's, an, it's definitely a need. It's definitely an issue. Right now, it's very much wild, wild west, right? If you, if you were to go on the credential engine, search for critical thinking badges, there's probably hundreds of badges called critical thinking. And some of them are being issued by, um, you know, MIT and Stanford or, you know, PBL World or, you know, organizations that are trusted brands we've heard of. And some of them are being issued by JD, right? That maybe, you know, doesn't have the brand recognition. But, you know, one of the places where I kind of pause and back up is, um, you know, the, the kind of risk factor that you bring up is something that, is an existing risk factor independent of digital badges. Um, that this is not a this is not an issue that that's unique to digital badges, right? And so, I, I think one one place where I pump the brakes a little bit on a rush to standardize is: Are we just recreating a familiar system that we already know isn't working, especially when it comes to ac access and equity? Um, so like, you know, the, uh, for, the, the simplest thing is that you can control the quality by validating, you know, each credential, you click on the evidence and, and validate it. Was it deserving or not? I think from a sustainability perspective that that's, you know, people are going to say that's not realistic in college admissions. They're going to say, you know, how are we supposed to look at every single, you know, applicants credentials? And, you know, I, I think that's, a really great question, but just because it's hard doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing it, right? Because we know college admissions system is not working now. And so taking this new shiny thing of badges, but then bending it to meet the kind of confines of the familiar construct that, that we've already been working with is only going, you know, is most likely going to produce a system that just replicates what we already have and aren't content with, right? We, we likely go to a place of, you know, not changing the world and just reinforcing historical inequities. So one concern I have is that as we codify these badges and give them more stringent requirements for transferability, that we basically might reproduce the grading system that we have right now that may or may not be working. Exactly, right? That, that, you know, be, and uh, I'm not trying to dismiss any concerns that people might have about sustainability, about what's realistic. What I do think is that, you know, it's at some point it might be worth asking ourselves, you know, do, does conforming to the familiar, you know, kind of sabotage what we're claiming is our big why, you know, like if we're starting with our why for, you know, before we ever start to do this and we stick to that, why, you know, are, are some of these changes in service of that why or actually sabotaging it? 
because it really quickly, like, uh, sustainability is real, right? We don't necessarily have bandwidth to hire hundreds of people with, with master's degrees to go through and validate all of these skills, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's why we don't do it. You know, that, that maybe we, you know, get some design thinking going and we get some facilitation, you know, we say, how might we do this given the constraints of not being able to hire new people to do it and see if we can come up with some stuff. So can you describe Badge Summit, uh, what it is, what, what the experience is like and what attendees uh, might find there? Yeah, I mean, hopefully they find what they're looking for because it's, it really is just rooted in this user need. And so it, this will be its fifth year. And I'd, I, I think it's been evolving each year to just really pay attention to what people are doing, what they're saying, actually reading the you know, evals and saying, okay, right, these are changes we need to make. And so, you know, it, it might in some ways look like a conference. It's face-to-face, -face, you know, it's at an educational institution, but it also kind of flips certain things on their model, on their head, right? Uh, we, we have a, we highlight failure, you know, not from a just talking like how great failure is, but actually getting people up and saying, hey, you tried to do a bad system, it didn't work. What went wrong? You know, help other people learn from from the fail there, so that they don't make the same mistakes. Uh, we, you know, one of the things that's going to be changing this year is that we're actually cutting way back on breakout sessions. That's kind of sitting there with these amazing experts because we get some of the best experts on planet Earth to come. But one of the things we've noticed is that, you know, the the converse the, the emails that I get afterwards of people saying, this was so great. I especially loved blank is it's the collisions, the conversations. And so, you know, there's going to be a whole lot more focus on session, uh, tabletop sessions. So, you know, not, not so, so there might be a amazing expert with something to share that we're moving from, you know, a 50 person room instead putting a 10 person table and, you know, giving, instead of having them do it once for an hour, having them do it, you know, twice in you know 20 minute chunks so that it's more conversational and really rooted in what attendees you know are coming to that table needing and so that you know that that's I, I think what they can expect it to look like it is a mix of what they're used to and a little bit of what they're not uh definitely the networking i think is a huge piece of what people get out of it you know i just so many people just learning about what other people's work is getting ideas from that make, making new partnerships and then, you know, on the kind of keynote plenary side of things, uh, Odelia Young, who's uh, at Digital Promise and has been in this space as long as anybody, amazing uh, expert is going to be giving our keynote. There's also going to be a cool uh, session, highlight session that I'm very excited about looking at data, uh, big data and credentials. And so while big data and blockchain you know, are kind of at the periphery of these things. They're also very central because, you know, we're, we get to a place of, you know, we talked about the sustainability. Uh, at a certain point, we can anticipate that some of this stuff starts going through machines and, and filtering for us. And as that happens, you know, the AI is not born smart. AI is informed by historical data sets. And in the case of education, we know that our historical data is chock full of bias. And so, you know, we're going to be working with a data scientist who specializes in bias and data, along with some folks who are doing some really cool stuff with blockchain and credentialing. 
and kind of starting to have this conversation that everybody hopefully knows they ought to be having, but almost nobody is having around, you know, how do we ensure that as we're doing stuff that we hope will change the world, we don't do, you know, inadvertently end up uh, creating an even more biased world. So Noah, where can people find you? Um, you know, if they want to reach out to you about consulting, if they want to learn more about Badge Summit or read any of your writing. Uh, so I tweet at Senor G, S-E-N-O-R-G. And I, I blog medium.com slash at Senor G. Uh, you're welcome to reach out and email me. I, I definitely prefer that you tweet. The, the uh, uh, text, uh, the, those are the more efficient ways to reach me. Definitely at uh, Noah at thebadgesummit.com is how folks can email. And if you're interested in badging, if you want me to take a look at stuff, if I can be a resource, connect you with other people, you know, let me know. If you have work that you'd like to share, you know, that, that I'd love to hop on a video call with you, do an interview, record it, let you screen share. You know, we can put it out on, on hashtag badge chat, which JD, I another example of something of just listening to users. We, you know, we had this amazing chat, super successful, going for five years. But one of the things we started to notice is, you know, committing to a synchronous chat face, you know, at the same time every week was no longer meeting people's needs. People started to say, you know, those interviews on YouTube are actually the most beneficial thing. So, you know, the hashtag still exists, but the bat, the actual chat has more become a asynchronous offering, you know, in the community of just, Let's get together, let's highlight people's work, learn from it, and then let's talk about it. Thank you for listening to the Depth and Light podcast. If you like this or other episodes, please tell a friend about the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen. If you have show ideas or general feedback, reach out to us at info at depthandlight.com.